How do you feel about hosting meals with friends and family? Are you the sort of person who just assumes there will always be an extra head or two at the dinner table and plans accordingly? Or are you the kind that prefers to spend time with friends away from home and escape from the pressure to clean or host or serve? Are you still limiting the folks you see face to face, worried about protecting vulnerable members of your family? Do you miss the long nights spent lingering over a bottle of wine? Yet another rhythm disrupted by these pandemic months? Over the last two years, we've experienced isolation of many forms. We've stayed in our homes to protect ourselves and those around us. We've stood six feet apart and hidden our mouths and noses behind masks. Maybe as you're listening now, you're cuddled up in bed, isolated as you recover from the sickness plaguing your lungs. What does hope look like in the midst of loneliness and isolation? It might sound trite, but I'm going to say that a dinner party just might be a start. Welcome to Kitchen Meditations, a weekly podcast from Edible Theology where we examine the ways God meets us in the kitchen and at the table. I'm your host, Kendall Vanderslice. If you're hungry for a taste of God's hope and healing in the mundane tasks of your everyday life, then you've come to the right place. May these meditations bring you a bit of grounding as you prepare to eat today and every day. Let's get started with a little spiritual mise en place, a prayer to orient ourselves before we begin. In the professional kitchen, mise en place is the process of preparing your workspace for the dishes you are about to make. It involves measuring your ingredients and reading your recipe all the way through, so you don't have to spend the afternoon worrying that the meal won't be ready when your dinner guests come knocking at the door. I like to think of it as a time to prepare my own mind and body as well, asking God to be present with me as I cook or as I bake. Our spiritual mise en place today is drawn from 1 Thessalonians 3, one of the New Testament readings for this first week of Advent. Close your eyes. Slow your breathing. Now as you inhale, repeat with me. Night and day we pray, and as you exhale, that we might see you face to face. A few years ago, I was sitting in my living room, cuddled up with my beagle strudel, eating an elaborate dinner of, wait for it, tortilla chips and salsa. I was finishing up the edits on my book about church meals, writing on the value of communal eating. My friend Brett swung by to drop off a book that I needed to borrow for class the next day. I brushed chip crumbs off my chest as I got up to answer the door. Strudel is very good about cleaning up any crumbs I leave behind. What are you up to this evening? Brett asked me as he passed the book over. Oh, just some edits, I replied. What about you? 
Well, I've got to swing by the grocery store to pick up a few things. We're grilling out tonight, he said cheerfully. My stomach churned with a sort of nervous feeling, egging me on to say, I'm eating chips and salsa all alone, but I'm so lonely. I really need to talk to someone who is not my dog. Please, can I come eat with you? Instead, I maintained my chill. Oh, I should let you go then. Tell Haley I say hi, I said, waving goodbye. Then I shut the door, went back to my couch, picked up my bag of chips, and cried. It was the only human interaction I had that day. We're currently in the season of Advent, a time of preparation for the coming of Christ. In this season, we prepare to celebrate the first coming of Jesus, born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. The incarnation of God in the person Jesus affirms the dignity and beauty of our human bodies. God took on human flesh and lived in human community in order to redeem the goodness of God's creation. As much as Advent is a time to celebrate that Christ has already come, it's also a time to recognize that God's work is not yet done. In this season, we prepare ourselves for Christ to come again, while grieving the fact that we still live with the pain of our current broken world, including the profound pain of loneliness and isolation. Humans were created for community. We all hold this innate need to share our lives with others. Maybe you're an extreme introvert, and you are content with minimal human interaction. But I'm guessing that after just a couple weeks at home last year, even you felt the need for friends. I am an extrovert, and when I don't have enough time with others, my brain feels like it might melt out of my skull. Strudel, as much as I love him, does not fulfill my friendship quota. If you live alone, you probably know the feeling. Maybe you long for someone to share your life with, or you grieve the years past when your children were laughing in a room down the hall. If you live with kids perpetually underfoot, then you might feel an opposite sort of isolation. Never alone, but at the same time, longing to be deeply known. Whatever phase of life you are in, you too possess this need for community, for people you can sit with in person and share the details of your life. In 2017, then-Surgeon General Vivek Murthy named loneliness a public health crisis. In an interview with the Washington Post, he claims that loneliness takes a physical toll on the human body equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It's associated with a greater risk of heart disease, depression, anxiety, and dementia, as well as impairing creativity and executive function. Murthy says that loneliness is just as prevalent among those living in cities, suburbs, and rural areas, in the heartland, and on the coasts. In my own work, Interviewing folks in churches across the United States, I've also observed that loneliness is prevalent among those who are single and those who are married, those with children and those who are childless, those who are young and those who are old. 
The depths of this isolation have only grown more profound over the past two years. We might know that this loneliness is bad for us, but where do we go from here? I used to believe that my own loneliness would only be met through marriage. After all, in Genesis, when God says it's not good to be alone, God crafts a spouse for Adam. But as the years ticked by, God stayed silent on my pleas for someone to share life with. As I talked more openly about my own loneliness, my married friends shared stories of theirs too. My friends with kids spoke of the emptiness that gaped within them, the need for deep relationship with those outside their immediate family. I began to wonder if perhaps God had a different plan in mind for meeting our shared need for one another. Each Sunday, as I walked forward to receive the bread and wine, looking to the women and men and children in line around me, I sensed God nudging me as if to say, this is it. This is where you promise to care for each other. My church at the time shared a meal together after every service. We'd go straight from the communion table to lunch tables, where we caught up on the week past and shared plans for the week ahead. Kids ran wild between the tables playing games of tag. Sometimes they'd sit for a minute to eat with their parents before running off to play again. Sometimes they'd hang out with the single adults while their parents got a quiet moment to themselves. Friendships between single and married adults between the childless and the childful, were common in this community. Folks from every phase of life gathered together at the table, and in this gathering, we appeased one another's need, even if just for a fleeting moment. This community taught me that gathering around the table with friends is not just a nice but optional habit. It's central to how God created us to function as humans. When we share a meal with others, we are meeting the two most basic needs we possess as humans, the need to exist in community and the need to eat. In my loneliest moments, the nights that I've texted all of my friends, but no one is free to meet, I find an odd sort of consolation in the realization that it's impossible for me to eat completely alone. I think of the farmers that planted my wheat, then harvested the grain, the millers who ground it into flour, and the grocery clerk who sold it to me. I think of the microbes that leavened the dough, and the ones months before who prepared the soil. Though I might be eating a meal of plain toast, it was crafted out of the labor of many hands, along with life forms too small for me to even see. This thought doesn't fully ease the guttural longing to share my day with someone else. But it brings a bit of respite nonetheless. An already but not yet kind of hope rooted in the community of people who brought my food to me. We all know this feeling of already but not yet in our meals with friends as well. Each gathering is laced with imperfection, be it uncooked beans or a messy living room, chipped dishes or awkward halts in conversation. Dinner parties won't magically fix the ache of isolation. 
But when we sit together in community, we taste, at least for a moment, a bit of hope that our loneliness will one day disappear for good. What does the already but not yet of community look like for you right now? Perhaps it means bundling in coats and eating outside while you wait for your youngest children to have access to a vaccine. Perhaps it means sitting at a table six feet apart to protect the immunocompromised among you. Perhaps it means inviting a friend into your home, even when the Legos are strewn all around. I promise you, your lonely single friend does not mind the pile of toys by the couch. In fact, he might be aching to build a tower of blocks with your daughter. I promise you, your busy mom friend doesn't mind that you don't have the answer for her son's picky eating. She just wants another adult to converse with. We all need community. Other people with whom to share the mundane and messy moments of our days. It's in that community where we open ourselves up to the vulnerable conversations that allow us to be truly known. It's in community we can sense a bit of hope that God's kingdom is slowly breaking through. Night and day we pray that we might see you face to face. We'll get to our kitchen tip in just a moment, but I want to take a quick break to tell you more about Edible Theology. Edible Theology is an educational media project helping you connect the communion table to the kitchen table. We offer Bible studies, bread baking workshops, and a digital community to help you meet God through food. If you are a pastor or church leader looking to build community around the table in your congregation, then you'll love our Worship at the Table program. This digital course will help you identify the hungers and gifts of your church so that you can design an intentional meal that addresses the community's needs. Drawing from church history, theology, and anthropology of food, each lesson builds the case for why meals ought to be a central part of your congregational life. You'll also hear directly from pastors who've modeled their entire church around the table, leading dinner churches, as their communities have come to be called. Is your community still practicing virtual or hybrid services right now? Our gathering at the virtual table supplement will help you build creative community for those who can't be there in person too. Our kitchen tip today is for those who want an easy group meal. I get asked all the time how to make cooking for a crowd really simple. My answer is always the same, soup and bread. Not only can you make a whole meal in basically a single pot, it's easy to accommodate soup for a variety of dietary restrictions. Whether your meal needs to be vegetarian, easy on the nightshades, gluten or dairy free, you can find a soup that fits. And don't let yourself feel pressured to make soup from scratch every time. One of my favorite tricks to fancy up box soup is to saute half an onion in butter or oil, then add a crushed clove of garlic. As soon as the garlic starts to get fragrant, add the soup straight from a box. Whether creamy tomato or spicy black bean, pumpkin or roasted red pepper, the onion and garlic elevate your soup just enough to make it feel homemade. And never be afraid to ask your guests to contribute something too. 
whether it's salad, bread, or dessert, or even just a bag of shredded cheese to sprinkle on top of each bowl. By allowing your guests to contribute, you communicate that you believe they bring something valuable to the table as well. And now to close, a prayer for when you're eating alone. Oh God, who walked this earth, sharing life with friends, though never married, I wonder, did you ever eat alone? Did you ever feel that hollow void, that nudge to invite yourself over? Did you call up John or Peter and cry, I need human conversation? Help me find hope and community, safe friends with which to eat, family who can handle the wide range of my emotions. Soften me to those who also crave a meal shared with another. And on the days my only choice is a bag of chips and a jar of salsa, remind me of the many people who brought this food to me. Amen. Kitchen Meditations is brought to you by Edible Theology, where the communion table meets the dinner table. Learn more and sign up for our weekly newsletter at edibletheology.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Edible Theology. If you want to discuss this episode with other food-loving folks, then join our free community at community.edibletheology.com. We post discussion questions every Monday to keep the conversation going. A huge thank you to Hannah Hargrave and to our producers, Nick Thompson and Richard Clark at Area Code, who made this podcast possible. We would love it if you could rate and review us on iTunes, then share this episode with your friends. Your help ensures that others discover this podcast too.